Lord's taking shape now, and we've been going through this series entitled People of the Kingdom, and it's been a series through Ephesians, and we've been talking about, we started out by talking about being blessed, and then we went on to talk about being included, and then remade, and then informed, and today, it's a good segue from commissioning teams, because we're going to be talking about participating, and in this whole series, we've been opening up the book of Ephesians, and that's where Paul writes a letter to the Ephesians, and on chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, I am a servant of this gospel, which is amazing to me because he says that, that resonates throughout the entire book of Ephesians. I am a servant of this gospel, and this gospel, according to Paul, is that it is the good news that all of us, that means you and I, are blessed in the heavenly realms. In other words, what he's trying to tell us is that it is finished. That the contract has been signed, that it's, a, that it's a signed deal, that it's delivered, that you and I can participate as adopted sons and daughters of the kingdom. That means that we get entrance into the kingdom, which is what this gospel is all about. This gospel is the good news that as we get to know Jesus better in our walk, that he will become for us our one and only, our one and only true prize. This gospel that we've talked about in the word remade is that we are God's workmanship. That we have been formed uniquely, a new product that's already created in Christ to do good works, just like we're about to go do on the missions field. And then he says that he prepared for us in advance to do. This gospel, as we talked about, the other word is that it is the good news that we all count, that we all belong, and that we all have a significant part in the kingdom of God and building this kingdom, no matter this is the great news. No matter if you feel you're a second-class believer, that if you don't have any other credentials in all the history, Paul tells us that we're all part of this kingdom. So as we continue in Ephesians today and start talking about the word participating, I gave you all of the verses from chapter 3, 1 through 13 in your outline. So if you guys can read along, I'm going to break it down for you. But just so you know, the bottom says Ephesians 2 something. That was never changed, and I apologize. That was my fault. But it's actually chapter 3, 1 through 3. So I'm going to start with verse 1. And there's so much in this verse that I could stay, well, probably a long time just talking about this one verse. And it starts off by saying, for this reason I... Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles. So let's just pause here for a second, because again, there's so much impacted into this, into this one verse. It says, I, Paul, prisoner of Christ. You know, we learned just from starting to read this that Paul was writing this from jail. Yet I like it so much that he doesn't say that he is a prisoner of Rome or Nero, which he was. Instead, he refuses to say that. Instead, you can hear Paul's passion in the way he says that because he acknowledges that it's God's will that he is in jail. This passion compels him to write that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. It's almost as if he refuses to succumb to his circumstances. Some of us here may be in a prison of debt, in a prison of bad habits, or maybe even addictions, and we need to be convinced that God is able to guard all of these things if we entrust them to him. We can start refusing our circumstances today and instead acknowledge that you are a prisoner of God and not your unfortunate circumstances. You know, Paul was so passionate about this truth that he writes this gospel about it, it didn't matter that he was in prison, that it landed him in prison. Paul's access to God and his voice allowed him to experience encouragement and to receive strength to go forward even in these difficult times. 
And then you move on to verse 2, and we're going to read on from verse 2 through 5, and it says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you, that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. I am reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, and it, was, and it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. You know, Paul in verse 5 understood the people's ignorance to this truth. It, said, it says, which was not made known to men in other generations. Paul knew this was something that nobody had ever heard before. He is actually revealing it right there and then for the first time from previous generations. Before that time, people thought that only the privileged people had access to God. While the normal people couldn't even get close to him. And then we read on in verse 6, and it says, This mystery, he says, This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and shares together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, what is this mystery that Paul is talking about? Well, for Paul's audience at that time, it was that Jesus Christ died for the Jews and for the Gentiles so that they can have a relationship with Christ. For us in this day and age, it means to us that Christ died for me, and he died for you, and he died for the person across the church from you, and he died for the adulterer, the adulterer. he died for the homosexual, he died for the prostitutes, the homeless, the rich, Americans, Mexicans, Gloria a Dios, <laughs> Filipinos, and start on, you know, the, the Germans, the, the Chinese, Japanese, and even if you can't believe, and even the French, he died for them too. <laughs> Jesus died for everyone, everyone who is wise enough to recognize that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, and if they can recognize and turn from their life from sin instead and profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that is the mystery that Paul is talking about, the mystery of the unity of believers, that we can all be united under Christ our Lord and Savior. Paul shares with us that anyone can participate and have access to God. He really wants us to bring this point home. So he says that we are together. He says that three times in the scripture. He says that we, along with the Gentiles, are fellow heirs, members of one body, and participants of the promise in Christ Jesus. And then in verse 7, he goes on to say, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I am the least, I am the less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given me. And that is to preach the Gentile to the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. This gospel that Paul talks about here is such good news to him, he says, that he becomes a servant of it. He agrees and decides that he's just going to step into being a servant of this gospel that he talks about. And then in verse 9 through 13, he says, and to make plain to everyone, he actually repeats the same thing he said in the previous verses and says, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery which for ages was past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory, he says. This gospel that Paul is talking about here is that it doesn't matter where you came from. 
It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where you're going. This gospel is something that we should all participate in. So I want to ask you this morning, if you would consider yourself someone who participates in this gospel. Don't answer me. I want you to think about it. Are you a servant of this gospel that Paul is talking about? Are you as passionate about this gospel as Paul was? Have you turned over your unfortunate circumstances over to him and say, I am just a prisoner of the Lord and not these habits? I mean, do you guys remember the old TV show, The Brady Bunch? Just me? No? Oh, good. Some of you. You guys remember the theme song? Here's the story. Sing along. A lovely lady, no? (laughs) Who was bringing up three very lovely girls? Wow. (laughs) Nice. Amen. So we know that all of you guys watch TV. That's good. Well, let me, the next question is, do you guys remember who the servant in that story was? That's good. You know, she would, she would walk into the dinner table and she was carrying a big casserole, right? And then she had curly hair, a blue dress, a white apron. She would walk in and she would always carry a smile. She was the servant in that show. She was always serving her family, if you will. This one should be a lot easier. Do you guys remember the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? Right? That's right. Do you guys remember the theme song for that? In West Philadelphia, born and raised. Oh, come on. You know, if you guys would have gotten that one right, that means you guys know how to participate. And we could have all just gone home. But you guys messed up. So, in the playgrounds where I spent most of my days. Anyway. Well, do you guys remember that Uncle Phil was always scolding Will and Hillary was always shopping at the Beverly Hills boutiques and spending way too much money and Carlton was always doing his little dance? And... <laughs> but do you guys remember who the servant was in that show? Jeffrey, that's right. He would walk in with his tuxedo and his little, you know, tails there and he was wearing a white shirt with a little black bow tie, white gloves, and he would have an English accent and would say, say this sarcastic remark before moving on to the other room. Jeffrey was the servant in that show. And you know, TV has had its share of servants. Alice and Jeffrey are distinguishable from the families that they serve because they are always serving. You see, a servant is always, a servant is always identified by their activity and their participation. And in the same way, Paul was distinguishable by his service. He was in chains, yet refused to say that he was a prisoner of Rome but a prisoner of the Lord. Paul preached this gospel no matter what his circumstances were. That should be encouraging to us that in our circumstances, we should be able to preach this gospel because I don't see anyone in jail here this morning. So if you claim to participate in this gospel like Paul, then I should be able to tune into a channel which airs your life story at any time and see activity that reflects your claim. You see, you can write this down. This is our first bullet point. A participant of the gospel must become a servant. A servant of the gospel has a missionary mindset. That means that you intentionally build relationships with unchurched and underchurched people. A servant of the gospel is unashamed of the gospel, injecting Christ into any situation wherever he sees fit. Or when there is an open door. A servant of the gospel is eager to reap what he sows. Gathering souls to embrace the message of his or her life story. 
That means that we share our story. That means that we share our testimony. All of you guys have a testimony. The question is, do you share it? I mean, do you guys remember, I don't know why, I'm focusing a lot on TV today. I guess I watched a lot of TV too. Do you guys remember the Truman Show? That was actually a movie. The Truman Show where they aired this guy. And yeah, thank you, two guys, person. Thing. <laughs> well, let me just ask you, if your life were like the Truman Show, and, I, and again, I ask you that I could tune in at any time, would I tune in to find out the activity that identifies you as a servant of this gospel? And as we move on in verse 7, it says, I became a servant, Paul says, of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. When Paul became a servant, he was actually on this road called Damascus. And before that, he became a servant. Paul used to persecute Christians. Paul used to find people that were praising and worshiping Christ and would actually persecute them, put them in jail and things like that. So when Christ didn't come to him on that road with a flashing light on that road to threaten him, no, instead he asked Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? And like I said, Paul used to persecute Christians before he became one. So when God asked, why do you persecute me? Paul didn't fall on his knees and sheepishly tried to promise to do whatever it took to make it up to him. No, Paul right there and then became a servant. According to verse 7, it says, by the gift of God's grace. So the instrument that changed Paul forever was God's grace. So the question for us this morning, if we all proclaim and we've all received Christ, then in that moment or whatever your road to Damascus was, on that moment, we should have all become a servant of that gospel. Paul didn't do it because it was guilt or obligation. It wasn't a sense of contract between Paul and the risen Christ. It was God's gift to Paul. God came to him and said, you need a new identity. So he gave him one, and that is to be a servant of the gospel. And he's changed his name from Saul to Paul. Paul makes it clear that it was not a burden to him. It was Paul's privilege. The power of God was at work in Paul, changing him from a persecutor of Christians to a producer of Christians. And that brought Paul joy, not disappointment. You know, and oftentimes we tend to view sharing the gospel as doing God a favor. But God wants us to understand this morning and believe that being a servant of the gospel is a gift to you. He invites you to receive that gift as part of his life-changing grace. When you understand that you are blessed in the heavenly realms, that Jesus is your first and only reward, that you are God's finished workmanship, and that you belong equally with all that God has called his own, then you can receive by faith the grace of God. Today, God wants to invite you to receive that grace to proclaim his gospel. The problem is that with, with that, it kind of goes against our natural self-being. Ever since self became our God, it has never been cool to be a servant. As a matter of fact, we don't like to play second fiddle or be considered second rate, but that's exactly what a servant is. We equate serving with uncomfortably giving of ourselves to the will of another. To do so will cost us our autonomy, the ability to rule our time, and choose our own course of action. And that doesn't really appeal to the self-directed human being. You know, some of you may know that I was raised by a single parent along with nine siblings. And it was my mom. My father died, you know, three months before I was born. And oftentimes people say, wow, man, how did your mom do that? What did she do for a living? I mean, how can she raise 10 kids? 
And my answer is very plain and simple and the truth. I said, my mom was a maid. My mom uh, used to clean hotel rooms and she used to clean houses. And the action, I, I, always, I always try not to tell people that she did that. Not because of me, I'm not embarrassed. I try not to tell them that because it makes people feel so awkward because they don't feel like, oh man, what do I say now? There's nothing to say. That's, she did what she had to do to raise 10 kids. I'm not embarrassed, but I have to tell you, because of what she did, my mom, she was the most humble and giving person that I've ever met. Till today, and I don't mean that in a boastful way, that is just the bold truth. I remember that I used to give my mom money because she needed it really badly, only to find out that she gave it to somebody else who needed it more. And although that was frustrating at the time, that was just who she was. My mom was a true servant in every sense of the word. You see, when you and I struggle to see that being a servant is a gift from God, we resist the very grace that causes us to become servants. It takes faith to see that being a servant of the gospel is a good thing. It takes faith to see that being a servant of the gospel is not imposing or that it's not a heavy burden. It is a gift from God, a gift that he wants you and me to participate in. The second thing we can learn from the scripture in Ephesians is that a participant of the gospel must accept grace. Grace. Grace is God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment, like me. Grace is showing favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. Grace is forgiving someone when they don't deserve it. And divine grace, this grace that Paul is talking about here, divine grace is God giving you and I favor and forgiveness when we don't deserve it. So let's go back to TV again. This time you're watching the Learning Channel, and you're watching a woman give birth. And as you can see, she is in incredible physical pain. She is moaning and she is pleading for more drugs. And although you can see it, and I know from experience that the father is in pain as well. If he's like me, it hurts to see your wife in pain, especially when you had something to do with it. <laughs> with the birth of that child... With the birth of that child also comes a great weightiness of responsibility and the realization that this child carries with him or her an incredible potential to bring heartbreak. Perhaps this child is going to go through some incredible sickness. When the child is older, he or she may make decisions that are destructive and that breaks the parent's heart. All this, if you think about it, would make us all wonder why we even have kids in the first place. I mean, you would imagine that by now we would all catch a clue and say, I'm not having any of those. But we don't, do we? We want to have children. As a matter of fact, Olivia and I always thought that the risk and the pain and the suffering was all worth it. Well, God's invitation to receive grace, to become a servant of this gospel, should be as natural and appealing to the believer as the invitation to have children. When you see the glory of serving the gospel and you understand its power to save, man, that power that the name of Jesus carries, when you see that, it doesn't matter if it hurts or if it might involve some heartache because it's worth it. This was the story of Paul that he's writing about here. 
He was given a gift. A grace gift he received was the opportunity to preach the riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery. This mystery had not been revealed prior to this time. The problem is when we fail to submit to God completely. God's grace, though abundant, spills out in altered forms. When we don't submit to his will and he gives us that grace, something else comes out. Instead of grace, we might spill out hate or greed or malice or envy or, perver- or perversions. God's grace changes to something different when we fail to recognize that we who have been forgiven, all of us have been forgiven, are unwilling to forgive others. And then we in turn become the stumbling block for all others. And guess what? Satan our enemy delights in knowing that he has, success, he has a success story in us. And he dares to mock God and use us for his case in point. Man, I don't want to be that guy. The third thing that we can learn from this scripture is that a participant of the gospel must become bold. Millions of people today, some perhaps within the sound of my voice, are living their lives with needs being unmet because they lack the boldness to pursue them. For some, Sunday worship has become an irrelevant experience because they walk out week after week feeling empty-handed. For some, prayer has become a meaningless ritual because prayer after prayer seems to go unanswered. Well, why are people walking out of these doors and feeling empty-handed? I believe that today we can all through the scripture gain the boldness to receive what we need in the name of Jesus. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 12 says, In him and through faith in him we may approach God with freedom and confidence. And when we approach God, we should approach God with boldness. The word that Paul uses here for freedom is the word boldness, which comes from the Greek, which means freedom of speech or unreserved utterance. The Message Bible puts it this way. When we trust in him, we are free to say whatever needs to be said. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but the spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline. Folks, that power that Paul talks about here should give us the courage to be bold in every circumstances, especially when coming before God. When we approach God, we we shouldn't try to put on a show for him. He doesn't want us to act religious when we approach him. He wants us to be real. I mean, there's nothing wrong with using thou's and these and thou arts. There's nothing wrong with that, but you don't have to do that. You can speak to him in your own language, in your own words. Talk to God like you would talk to anyone that you trust and confide in. I mean, it's sad that some people talk more freely and openly to their hairstylist today than they do to their own God. We need to understand that God wants us to be free, wants us to be able to say whatever needs to be said. God wants us to be real. When life slaps us in, you know, in the side of the face, it's okay to tell God that it hurts. Some of us are putting on a smile coming to God, and I know it's your plan, God, and it's going to be okay. Man, while, while we're crying on the inside, it's okay to tell God that it hurts. It's okay to yell out and, and say, you know, I don't understand why this is happening to me. You know, when Je- Jesus didn't sin when he said, when he was on the cross, you guys remember, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus understood that he could approach God with boldness, 
with freedom of speech, with unreserved utterance, being free to say whatever needs to be said. So I encourage you guys to approach God with boldness, accept his grace, and just tell him exactly what needs to be said, because he would understand. And now this means being real, not only in our sorrows, but also in our victories. I mean, some of us show a lot more joy when we get a great deal on a hotel stay than we do our own salvation. Man, when God comes through in our lives, we shouldn't hesitate to tell someone about it. God wants us to approach him with boldness, with unreserved speech, being free to say whatever it needs to be said in our sorrows and in our victories. The fourth thing that we learn from the scripture is that a participant of the gospel must be confident. God wants us to have confidence in him as we approach him. And the word confident in the Greek means reliance and trust. So when you step into your car and you head out to the grocery store, you have a confidence, you have a reliance, you have a trust that that car is going to get you to your destination, which is the grocery store. And in the same way, when you take a prescription, you have a reliance and a trust that that prescription is going to help you. Yet while some of us have confidence in so many things, many people lack in their confidence with God. You know, there was a man who had run a tightrope across Niagara Falls. You probably have seen many. And a crowd of people gathered as he announced to them, I'm going to ride a unicycle across Niagara Falls. Do you believe I can do that? And of course, the crowd is chanting and cheering him on. He's like, yeah, you can do that. And he says, great. Now, who wants to ride on my shoulders? Then silence just like that. But you see, that's how many of us are with God. We talk about how God can do the impossible. Well, when the rubber meets the road, we tend to back off. God wants us to be confident. He wants us to be confident that he can meet our need and that he can provide grace for any situation. And as Paul wrote to the young preacher in 2 Timothy 1.12, he says, that is why I am suffering as I am. Remember, he was in prison. Yet I am not ashamed because of whom, because I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. You see, it is possible to be in Christ but not have faith in Christ. You know, I remember when I was learning how to drive and I was around 13 and uh, my brother was in the back of the car with me and I was behind the wheel, but I can guarantee you that he didn't trust fully have faith in me because he kept his hand on the wheel the entire time. He just didn't have that faith. And I think some of us are in a ride with God and we don't trust his driving. So we find ourselves always going, hey, watch out. Where are you going? No, not that way. And we turn the wheel, sometimes even causing a crash. And when we fail to submit our lives to Christ, we may profess our faith in Christ, but it is often that we grab back control of that wheel and in our lives and say, Jesus, just let me fix this and I'll make it a little cleaner for you. And then you can come back into this picture. I mean, how silly does that sound? I mean, the time that we need God the most is when we're trying to deal with our stumbling blocks. When, we're, we don't, when we don't have the, our own strength to defeat our demons. It's like having the strongest man next to you and telling him, okay, just let me get this tractor off the ground and then you can step in and take the rest. In regards to our relationship with God, it's not only ridiculous to think that way, but it's actually sinful. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, 
With thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I mean, doesn't that sound awesome right about now? In whatever circumstances you find yourself in, this is a word in season for all of us. He says, don't worry about anything. Pray, give thanks, and the peace. Man, I, I pray for this peace all the time, and I encourage you to do the same. The peace that surpasses all understanding. Have you guys ever felt the peace that nothing matters around you? That's what he's talking about here. It says that it will guard your hearts. Man, that sounds awesome to me. You know, some of us in our Christian walk feel as though we're always walking away empty-handed. The reason why is because we don't have the boldness and confidence to be able to approach God with what we need. But today we can become bold and confident in our worship, in our prayers, in our everyday life. But we have to be willing to fully abide in him. We have to put our faith on the line for him. We must become servants and accept his grace, this grace that he's talking about. I think we should respond today by having faith in Jesus Christ. Your faith in Christ gives you instant access to God and his blessings, all of those promises that the Bible talks about. That means that we must have a right relationship with Jesus Christ first and foremost. So if there are any areas in your life that you have not given up to Christ, I encourage you to surrender them today so that you can fully abide in Christ. If you've been struggling with with where God is leading you in your life, let go. Let him lead you and fully put your faith in his leading of your life. In other words, let him take the wheel. Folks, don't settle. Don't settle for less than God's best for your life. That's what this gospel is all about. That God has a best, a perfect plan for all of us. And when we settle outside of that, It actually grieves God. For those of you who are believers, God has spoken to you and maybe given you some names of people in your life that you need God's overflowing grace to pour on. God always brings people to our hearts and tugs at our hearts and tells us, man, you need to go to those people and pour that same grace I poured on you on them. For those of you that do not know Christ, maybe this is the time that you accept them in your life. You may think that your life is under control, but I'll bet that's not the case. I'll bet that in the recesses of your mind and in your heart, you're thinking, but if people only knew. Well, let me tell you that everyone here has had similar thoughts. There is no one that is adequate enough to stand before God and escape his judgment. So this is the time to give your life to Christ. Today, whatever your circumstances are, you can accept this grace. This grace that I'm talking about, I can best describe it as God's favor. I can best describe it as God saying, it's going to be okay. Do you guys remember when you were kids? Some of you guys won't remember. But do you guys remember when you were kids and you would wake up in the middle of the night and you were scared and you would run run to your mom? Or something would happen in school that would just really grieve your heart and you would run to your mom and then your mom would do one of three things. She would either put her hand on your shoulder, put her hand on, on your head, or actually embrace you and whisper in your ear, it's going to be okay. And somehow that would work. Somehow that would give you a peace that surpasses all understanding and, the, and you would be able to go back to sleep and move on. We don't think like that as adults anymore. But if we re- go back to our childhood and start thinking that God's grace is him telling you, it's going to be okay. That's the grace that you can accept today. Will you pray with me?
Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your revelation of this mystery, Lord. That Jesus Christ will unite us, Father, and that we get to become part of your testimony. Thank you for allowing us to participate in these blessings. Father, give us now, Lord, the strength to carry through on our convictions and remove our stumbling blocks. Father, thank you for allowing us to remove everything that gets in the way of our relationships with you. Father, give us boldness and confidence as we approach you and as we become a servant. Father, and as we just try to accept that grace and preach the gospel. Lord, for some of us, this is the first time that we come to you symbolically on our knees. Father, we freely acknowledge that we are sinners incapable of standing before your holy presence. We accept Jesus Christ who died for me. We pray for your strength as we turn from our sins and walk in your ways the best way that we know how. And at this moment, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just want to ask you if you're willing to commit to be bold, if you're willing to commit to have confidence and accept this grace and recommit your lives to Christ and acknowledge that you want this grace in your life. If that's you, I'm not going to have you stand up or walk up or do anything like that. I just want to be able to pray for you. And if that's you, would you just please raise your hand? Praise God. Thank you, guys. You guys may put your hands down. Anyone else that wants to accept that grace today? Father, for those who have just committed to accept your grace this morning, Father, and Lord, and turn over their their unfortunate circumstances to you, Father, I just ask that in the name of Jesus right now, you would come before them and that you will allow them to feel, Father, because this is a promise that we can find in your Bible, Lord, that you would allow them to feel that peace that surpasses all understanding right now. Father, we trust in you. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen.